Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Cove Church. So great to be with you today as we conclude our series called Seek. And we do so today with a look at a well-known parable of Jesus that has often been referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, there's a lot of merit to that title. Prodigal means reckless or wasteful, and this son certainly shows us that. But upon further study, we will see that the main character in this parable is actually the father, the good father, who displays ultimately what can look to us like a reckless love towards his child. In that way, it could be called the story of the prodigal God. It comes as the third of three parables that are meant to be told together, and they're in the book of Luke, chapter 15. The three parables, it starts with the parable of the lost sheep, who is found by the shepherd who leaves uh, the existing flock to go and find that one lost sheep. Then there's the parable of the lost coin, where a woman sweeps the house to reveal this coin that had been lost. And then finally, this parable of a father and the father's sons, and that's the one we'll look at today. The connection between these three parables is all about the love of the one who is pursuing them. With the lost sheep, the sheep didn't do anything to be rescued. They were simply found by the seeking shepherd. With the lost coin, the coin certainly didn't do anything to be rescued. It is a coin after all, no arms, no legs, no voice, it's just a coin. And so the effort was entirely upon the woman who swept the house until that coin was revealed. And with the lost sons, and yes, there are two lost sons, we will see a picture of a father running after his children, even though his children are running away from him. And it's that running father that we will discuss today in this conclusion of our Lent series, reminding us once again that each of us has a father running to reach out to us. It's hard not to be moved by the idea of a good father, isn't it? Uh, the thought of the loving action of one who would not only want to, to give, but to help and to save. One whose only desire is that the ones they love come home. In a perfect world, that's how all fathers would be, isn't it? that every father would land somewhere between Pa on Little House on the Prairie and Mufasa from The Lion King, some combo of that. They'd all be like that. They would be our champions. They would be our heroes. They would be our inspiration. Well, that's what it would be like in a perfect world. But we don't live in a perfect world, do we? There are, thankfully, many good fathers, but there are also many absent ones. In addition, there are those fathers who are very much present, but their presence is anything but helpful, anything but beneficial. Even so, we can't escape the fact that regardless of how good or how bad or how absent our father is or was, their impact on our life is immeasurable. 
leaving either a wealth of love and security or perhaps a cauldron of anger and pain. An empty pocket of loneliness that that father was supposed to fill. Or a strange combination of feelings, some that we rejoice in and some that we mourn. Oh yes, whether good or bad, fathers leave a mark. And we are left to decide whether that mark will be a tragedy or a triumph. I wonder at times about the mark I'm leaving as a father. I would classify myself as a flawed but well-meaning father. Um, <laughs> I, I think of so many things that I did poorly. I remember uh, wanting to be the, the good dad who went to, to school to join his son for lunch. You know, I remember doing that with Ethan in elementary school, you know, go to elementary school and have lunch with him and his friends and take the time to get to know them. And so I'm sitting there having lunch with Ethan and his friends at the table and everything's great. And then I notice that Ethan has a little, little smudge from his sandwich on, on his chin. And what do I do? Just reactively grab a napkin. I wipe it off his face right in front of all his friends. Not cool. Sort of a mark on my father record. I think at the time that I decided, hey, you know, I didn't decide this. We decided as a family that we're going to go see the, the big trees of Oregon. And so I said, I'll, I'll find a place for us to stay. And so I found a yurt because it was cheap. You know, yurts are cheap when you rent those. And, and the pictures look nice. It's a nice yurt. And I mentioned it was cheap. And, and so we found the yurt that was near the big trees. And what didn't show in the pictures is it sat right in the midst of a very, very old uh, mobile home park. And, and it was right next to a mill. So all night long, it was a 24-hour mill. So all night long, you just heard forklifts and beep, 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 and sirens all night long. And big lights going on over there. And the, and the, the restroom and the showers we were supposed to, to use were right in the midst of this ancient mobile home park. And anytime you opened the door, you'd be attacked by like 15 feral cats that would run out of there, you know. And, and the, the, the neighborhood was rough. And, and just to give you an idea, the, I remember hearing one heated conversation across the mobile home park. And the only words that, that I could say here and that we could really make out other than those kinds of words were the words, you hand me the ammunition and I'll hand you the beer. It was that kind of place. Let's just say they don't let me plan where we stay anymore. Things like that remind me that I fall somewhere short of being a model father. With that said, even if we don't have great history when it comes to the dads we have, or even the dads we are, there is good news. All of us can have a truly good father. And we can gain that hope from the story that we're gonna to read today, this amazing tale of the redemption of a lost young man. And yet as powerful as that story is, the story's true focus is not on the actions of the son. No, it's really about the response of the father. The father in this parable gives us an example, gives us a prototype of who God wants to be in our life. And in that understanding, this parable becomes essential to the lives of those who would seek to say yes to a relationship with God. So here's the first thing I point out. The good father seeks to give in love. Luke 15, verses 11 through 20, 
Let's read this together. Big voices right where you are. Go. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Let's start with the audacity of this young man. Asking for his inheritance before his dad is dead. That is the ultimate in disrespect. It would be disrespectful here in our culture, in that culture. It is the ultimate in disrespect, the ultimate in dishonor. It's the equivalent of, of dad, I wish you would hurry up and die, but since you're not, can I have the money now? This is a big part of that prodigal word. It can mean action without thinking. And likely we've all in life had moments where we have acted without thinking of the consequence of those actions. Reminds me of a story my father once told me when he was a kid. Uh, he's out with the neighborhood kids. They're playing and doing all that. And they come upon a power line that is downed. And they're all interested in it because it made this humming sound. And they thought, oh, that's really cool. And my father, I don't know what this says about my father. I don't know what he was thinking or what he was not thinking at the time. But he decided it would be a really good idea to just grab a hold of that with both hands. And he did. And he was immediately glued to it, magnetized to it. He couldn't let go. And, and after, at this point, his memory goes out. But how the story ends up playing out is my grandfather, his father, saw this out the window of the house. And he ran out to my dad and grabbed him around the waist and pulled him off of this cable. And it's, it's told that he pulled him so hard, he thought he pulled both of his arms out of the socket to get him off of there. But it saved his life. Had he not done so, I would have a very different bloodline and maybe I'd even have superpowers. I'm not sure how that works, but maybe I would have inherited superpowers. That'd be cool, but either way, I'm, I'm fine with it. It worked out. But see, these are the kinds of things we do when we're not thinking, which is why the idea of biblical wisdom in Scripture is often tied to this idea of being able to see where this choice leads me, recognizing that this decision here leads me ultimately to this place, and maybe it's a place I don't want to go. So instead of adjusting then at that time, I can adjust now. I can make a different decision. Proverbs 14 speaks of this in verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. The son in this parable shows us that folly kind of decision. It's selfish. It's poorly thought out. It's hurtful. It's deceptive. 
Even his decision was to return, it wasn't motivated by a regret about his broken relationship with his father. No, it tells us right there why he wanted to go back. He was hungry. And so that sounded better than eating pig food. He never said he felt bad about what he did to his family. It once again shows us that he is selfishly finding his way to get where he wanted to go. So in every way, this young man is entirely in the wrong. Bad decisions, bad motives, probably bad breath, you know, pig food and all. Yet what does the father do in response to these outrageous, hurtful actions? Father knowing fully what the son was doing. That father looks at the son he loves and get this, the father gives anyway. Oh, the cost is great. It's not just the finance. It was personal. This son wanted money instead of relationship. You want money instead of me. It was relational cost. And the father paid it. It was sacrifice. It's a powerful picture of a model father being one who never stops giving in love. This is a life marked by sacrifice. Because this is what the good father longs to do for us. Even when we stand completely in the wrong towards God, God still responds completely in love towards us. Because the good father seeks to give in love. That's the first thing. Here's the second. The good father seeks to build in hope. Let's continue the passage, Luke 15, starting verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Hmm. So here's the hope we see in this passage. When the lost son finally stopped running from the father, there was a father waiting to run to him. That somehow amidst all of his horrible choices, his selfish decisions, his hurtful actions, this child still carried the hope that he could come home. You know, uh, my wife Paula's stepdad, his name is Ron, and he's a builder, uh, a really good builder, and he can't help himself but to build stuff. It just, he can't stop. They, they've moved several times since, since uh, we've known them. And every move, it's always the same thing. We're downsizing. We're going to downsize to a you know, smaller place. And then he just starts to build. And eventually there's like a, a small city is built. And they're like, oh, we got to downsize again. So they do it. And then he starts to build again. And just everywhere they go, this is what happens. And I've learned that it's really a part of how he shows love. It's how he shows care for those near him to provide that basic need of shelter. 
but it means when we're around Ron, we have to be very careful, like what we say when we're around him, because he might just build something. You know, if you're sitting someplace and it's like, wow, it's really, the sun's really hot here. You, next time you're there, there might be a gazebo, you know, <laughs> I want some shade. Here's a gazebo. You said you were hot, you know, or, you know, if you say, I, I feel thirsty here. Well, next time you're there, there's a fountain, you know, <laughs> or I, I feel like, I feel like traveling, you know, next time you're there, there's the Eiffel Tower. Wow. He just built it. He just wanted to, you know, this, this is how he works. Why? Well, for Ron, I think it's in part so that we know we always have a place to come home to. He literally builds that hope. Father God builds that hope into each of his kids, every human being. And this parable shows us that even amidst the selfish choices this son made, the son still had a hope regarding his father's house, saying, even the servants have it better than I do, so maybe it's possible for me to get there. Now, what the son didn't seem to understand was the real point of this parable. That, and it's this, regardless of how far you have fallen, you never fall out of love of the father. Regardless of how far you have fallen, you never fall out of the love of the Father. He thought he would maybe just be kind of suspiciously accepted as a servant, just sort of be allowed to be a, a second-class citizen in his Father's kingdom. But I'm not sure he knew that he would be joyfully welcomed as a son, as a child. And I'm not sure we know that either. I'm not sure we believe that. But remember this, remember, this is Jesus telling us what's true about God. That's why he would tell parables. So this is what we must understand. Just take in this moment. It tells us that when the son was a long way off, the father runs to him runs to him in compassion and, and kisses him and, and says, bring the best robe and put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet and get cool in the gang to, to sing celebrate. And now we're throwing a party. He's saying, my child was lost. Now he's found. What made that possible? Well, for the father, it's a love that recklessly runs after his kids. And for the son, it was to simply stop running. That God met him while he was still a long ways off. Aren't you glad that God meets us when we are still a long ways off? Think about where you were when you first met Jesus. Did you have it all together? <laughs> Do you have it all together now? Yet Jesus still meets us because God runs to us when we're still a long ways off. That, friends, is hope because the good Father seeks to build in hope. It's the second thing. Here's the last thing. The good Father seeks to connect in faith. 
Let's finish out the passage. Luke 15, verse 25. Let's read it together. Big voices go. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So on the other side of this beautiful story, we see someone emerge from the shadows. It's the older son. Now, remember, as Jesus is telling these stories, you have in the room two different types of people. You have tax collectors and sinners, and you have Pharisees and teachers of the law, all in the same room listening to Jesus. And so Jesus tells this story to include the people in the room, to reflect the people in the room. The first son represents the tax collectors and sinners in the room. The second son represents the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And it's about to get pretty uncomfortable for those folks. Because we see this older son watch the father welcome and celebrate his younger brother's return. But instead of joining the celebration, he throws a tantrum. I'm not going in there. I'm not joining with that. Now again, here we see the father pursue. Once again, the father goes out to him, we see that, and the older one throws a fit. He starts to whine, and he gives me one of my favorite angsty complaints of a child that you'll ever hear. He says, you, you killed the fattened calf to throw a party for him. I never even got a young goat to party with my friends. I mean, can you hear that in a teenager? All my friends have iPads, but I don't, you know? All my friends get young goats, but no, not me. Even Jimmy down the street, he gets a couple of squirrels every year. I get nothing. You can hear that in him. And then he says, this son of yours. Interesting, he says, he doesn't say, my brother. No, this, this son of yours. He's your son. Meaning, he doesn't have to care. Right? And then he says, he, he dishonored you. And he dishonored all of us, threw it all away. It cost all of us so much. And he comes back and it's as though nothing happened. And the real problem that Jesus is identifying in the older son is this. He thought that his way into the father's kingdom was made possible by his works instead of realizing that his way into the Father's kingdom was made possible by the Father's works. Our mistake is thinking that God's love is earned instead of realizing that God's love is received. 
That's what Jesus was telling the religious folks in this room. And I'm telling you, I doubt they liked it. I don't think they liked it at all. Because I know I felt this way sometimes. I remember not long ago, uh, driving with my mom, and she, was, she moved away from Redmond, and um, so it was kind of the, the last time that she was going to be over there. And she had kept my father's ashes, uh, and we knew that we would spread them at one of his favorite fishing spots. And so this was the time to do that. And so we get in the car, and I'm going down all these old roads, because there was these old roads to get to this favorite fishing spot of my dad. Really bad roads, lava rocks everywhere, really fine dust that gets into everything, unmaintained roads. But I was looking for the shortcut. But it had been years since I'd been on those roads, years. And so I keep thinking this is it. It all looks kind of the same, and I keep missing it. And we're just out in the woods and, and keep getting back onto the main road to find another one that kind of looks like it. And we keep doing this, and, and we're still not finding it. Finally, we, get, we go down just a little bit farther, and I realize that the road I was looking for, this old road, this shortcut, this way to the fishing hole, it was now fully paved. It was a perfect, great, brand new road that led right to the spot that we were trying to get to. You know what, at that moment, I was both grateful and mad. I just did all of this, and this was here all along. I did all of this work, and I didn't have to. Welcome to the heart of the older son. Jesus was saying, Quit trying to earn God's love because it's already yours. That's what the father was saying to this son. Quit trying to pay your dues. Quit trying to, to travel those bumpy roads and, try to, and trying to earn your way to God. Instead, let God find you. And when God does find you, join the celebration. They thought, these, these Pharisees and teachers of the law in the room, they thought that if they jumped through enough religious hoops, that that would bridge the gap. But how many hoops is enough? I and mean, we, we've all tried that. And I know that for every good religious check mark I have in the win column of my life, I have five other check marks in the lose column of my life. So what's the answer? Well, we see it throughout Scripture, but the book of Ephesians has a great one. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. We can never earn the love of God because God gives that love freely. So, well, what do we do then? Here it is. Receive the gift. Receive the gift. Be rescued like the lost sheep. Be found like the lost coin. Be pursued and embraced like the lost son. That's the answer. That's what we do. And then, because all these parables end with this, then join the celebration. <laughs> join the celebration because the good father seeks to connect in faith. I'll wrap up with this. The story certainly moves from tragedy to triumph, but then it moves back to tragedy again. Because we don't know what the older son chooses. 
We don't, the story just ends. We don't know. And the Pharisees and teachers are just kind of left there to be like, okay, what are you going to do? And sadly, the, the Pharisees do fill in the gap historically. They, they show all of history that they would rather earn their way in religion than accept God's gift of relationship. And since Jesus was that gift, they crucified him. And all of that boiled down to this one thing how they saw the Father. And that is the question we must all ask ourselves. This parable shows us who God really is. The question is, will we see God that way? Will I receive your gift of love, God? Will I be built by your hope? Will I connect to you, God, in faith alone? God is the good Father. The question for us is this. Will we allow God to be our good Father? Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.